Hi there, this is Hava Vitsa, Head of Content and Community with Change Engine. On today's pep talk, I'm speaking with Lorraine Vargas Townsend, Chief People Officer at ESO in Austin, Texas. Lorraine is an experienced coach and CPO with more than 20 years of experience as an HR executive. She served on the board of directors at Babson College's Executive Development Center and previously led HR at a cloud guru, Mendix, and Athena Health. As queer, Latinx, and a daughter of an immigrant, her life's mission is to develop develop people-first HR policies to go beyond tokenism and build an inclusive, anti-racist workplace. She has been featured in Fast Company, The Wall Street Journal, and invited to speak on several podcasts about HR disruption and innovation, and has been invited to keynote events such as the Women in Tech Festival, Silicon Valley Organization, Siemens Digital Summit, and Sharp Heels Conference for Women in Business. Because of her progressive HR practices, she has been recognized as a female health IT leader to know, and in 2019 was named one of the leading Latinas by Hispanic Executive Magazine. Lorraine lives in Austin with her wife, Sin, and their daughter, Flo. So a big welcome to the show. You have an amazing background. <laughs> um, and before, so before we begin, I'd love to hear from you. Um, if you had to distill your work down into just a few words, what would those be? Yeah, you know, when I was younger in my career, I used to say, we develop the work, de- deliver the workforce to achieve the business results. And that's how I summed up what HR was. But as I've gotten older and as things have changed in the world, I realize now that what I do is provide life-altering opportunity to people who want to do good work. And I think that's why I get out of bed every day. Um, My focus has shifted so much to be, how do we focus on the employees and the people whose lives we can change by giving them access to opportunity? And that's a really big shift to thinking, you're almost thinking about you're taking the human from human resources and you're like really driving that part rather than thinking more about the resources part. It's like, I think oftentimes in HR, we focus so much on resources and then we're like, wait, but what about the humans? And that's what you've really done, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it's not, it's not rocket science, but like if I, I don't accept jobs or talk to people who post HR as a title anymore, because I think it says a lot about how you view your employees and how how you view my function. Um, So I think there is a big shift these days to how do we put the people experience more at the center of what we're doing and building. And if you're not thinking about it that way, if you're not thinking about the traditional HR function as being an activist function for people, then you're doing it wrong. Activist function for people. Okay. I really, really like that. And I agree with you. I think that we've seen definitely that shift from calling it HR to calling it people experience or, or, you know, employee experience too, but I like it better people experience because that's what your employees are. They're people. Um, So I'm very excited for our conversation today. Um, Our intro call was really energizing. I I left and I was just, I was so energized for the rest of my day. So thank you. Um, And I felt that I learned a lot just in that short time that we had together. 
So on today's episode, we're, we're going to talk about people. We're going to talk about returns, returns to office and, and specifically how to create a friendly workplace for parents and caregivers. Um, parents and caregivers, we've seen, they've been working extra overtime the past couple of years trying to manage a career while also trying to care for children and potentially also fill the shoes as a teacher in remote and hybrid environments while wearing a variety of other hats. Um, Parents have already faced extra scrutiny at work prior to the pandemic for a variety of reasons, such as taking maternity or paternity leave or needing flexibility or modest accommodations for caregiving. So taking all that into consideration and to kick things off, I'd love to hear what you've seen over the past few years. Uh, do Do you feel that parents have faced more challenges in needing to adapt to this continuous, ever changing work environment? Yeah. I mean, look, I've been a parent, the majority of my parent life has happened during COVID. My daughter's five years old. And so it's hard for me to know how hard or easy it was before. And I think I kind of approached it like, what, people have been having kids for like centuries and also working. So like, is it really that complicated? Like, that's how I used to think about it. Um, Then I had a daughter, then the the pandemic happened. And I think I started to really face it in a completely different, you know, from a completely different mindset. Um, And it was personal first and foremost. So I was um, at the beginning of, of the pandemic, I was working at Mendix and, you know, I was a C-level HR executive of a global business. And um, I would be lying if I said, that I didn't stop basically all of my work to think about what in the hell am I going to do now that preschools are, are preschool closed? Um, and what am I going to do to um, make sure that my daughter gets all the things that she needs? And how am I going to do that while I'm doing an executive position and, um, and still be successful? And I think like a lot of parents, I was at that pivotal moment where I went, oh, my work is important, but my daughter's way more important, (laughs) right? My family is way more important. There were so many people who experienced, you know, crisis during this, um, during this pandemic. And I think parents are at the top of the list because we were just trying to juggle everything. Um, I bought a Montessori curriculum for, to be able to do that for myself, for my daughter. I tried to hire teachers. I could not compete in the market to hire private teachers. Um, so it was really difficult. And so there was a part of the time that I was doing it on my own, off the side of my desk, literally off the side of my desk, um, you know, building a little Montessori school until I found a friend and we ended up doing it together. Um, so I think one of the ways that work has changed is that parents, no matter what level that that they're at, have decided um, what's the most important thing to them. So the employee value proposition has changed so much, um, right? It's not just about like I have, you know, beer and ping pong tables. Literally, no one cares about that because they're not going to your office. Um, and it is like, what are you doing to create flexibility? What are you doing to help me in my own personal resilience right? My mental health, my own situation that's happening with my family. Um, What are you doing to make sure that my manager is still investing in me 
um, and still cares about building a relationship with me because more than ever, now I need empathy from my boss. I need an empathetic leader who is going to listen to the problems that I'm having and who's going to just hold me accountable to my outcomes, but also with grace. Right. Um, and so I think just, um, I don't know, so much has changed. Um, and it's, it's been driven by schools closing at a moment's notice (laughs) that, and we're never going back from that, by the way. So like in the past, (laughs) if your school closed or, um, your kid was sick, you just like still went to work. You're just like, I don't know, give her a coloring book and put her in front of the TV so I can get to the office. Those days are done. Um, right. Like employees now are really like feel really empowered to um, work remotely, feel really empowered to take control of what's happening there with their family. So I think those days are done. Um, we're never going back to um, I hope I really believe we're never going back to like people just powering through. I hope too. I mean, I think I've seen it as well. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm not a parent, but I have parents around me. I have, you know, I remember my cousin, she was an executive and she had a son. Um, she was trying to work her in her executive role. And then also trying to teach her, her, her five, six-year-old son. Um, and when her company found out, they offered to pay for a tutor which I was like, whoa, this was early on in COVID, you know, and this was something that to me was so unique because they really were, like, as you mentioned, um, helping to create that flexibility, helping, helping and having that empathy that like, you have two full-time jobs right now. Um, So I'm hoping that, you know, that was a unique situation, but I'd love to see more of that. And yeah, no one, no one cares about the ping pongs and the beer and the, and the, (laughs) whatever else they have in offices anymore, the endless snacks, I don't know. Um, and, and, and then, you know, gosh, I even remember, recall folks. And I think perhaps even me, when I was a kid and I was sick, my mom would be like, well, she's sick. I'm going to bring her to my office because I have to work. And now, you know, right. Like you said that those tables have turned, uh, fl- or turn, not even turned. They've been completely flipped over. <laughs> yeah. But isn't it exciting? Yeah. I think like, As people who are in this kind of field, right, like when you're in the people and culture industry or line of work, like this moment is so interesting and it's so fantastic. Like for the first time in history, employees have all the bargaining power. They do. They have they have the bargaining power when it comes to salary, when it comes to work location, when it comes to really even what they will accept or not accept. Look at all the like walkouts that happen these days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's exciting about it as a practitioner is that it's not an employee revolution like the unions came in and are like st- stealing money from their paycheck and like, you know, have their own motives to make sure that they like fill up the roles, you know what I mean? To, to be able to drive change that should have been there all along. It's not that. It's not like the basics of, of um, you know, treating people right. It's actually like, let us revolutionize how work happens, how employees are treated how they are valued. And I just think it's so cool. Like it's so fun. And so it's, it's just a moment of change. 
I agree. I, I, I think in, in ways like, you know, we have uh, in, in general, and, and I think this is probably more specific to the United States, but we've had such an individualist culture. And I think in certain ways, the pandemic actually, and, and just this future that we're, we're, we're walking into right every day um, has, has become more collectivist in many ways where we're trying to see like, listen, we, as an employee, I want to be as flexible as I can for you, but now also I, ex- I expect that in return, which leads me actually into a, another kind of interesting conversation because many companies are now putting into place these return to office plans. And you've seen huge cor- companies that are making these requirements. Um, some companies are taking you know employee feedback into consideration while others, let's just say it's more of a top-down approach. <laughs> so, um, I mean, what I'd love to know, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how do companies create a friendly, inviting, inclusive workplace for parents? And what does that look like? Yeah. If I can just go back for one second, because you, yeah. you, you hit on something that was, is really interesting to me, which is like that we're thinking more about the collective. Um, and we, we being individuals right now, like are thinking more about the way I like to say it is like who they commune with. Um, and Gartner put out a report not that long ago that was about like the new vision for 2022. And it's all about like hybrid work and it's about the new employee value proposition that really matters. But one of the things that they talked about was deeper connections um, and and feeling understood. And I keep thinking about that and thinking, how do we get our employees to choose to commune with us, right? So think about the pandemic. We all locked down. You maybe didn't have dinner with your grandparents, um, either because they didn't believe in vaccines or you were scared that they were really sick, um, <laughs> right? Like you had um, mem- members of your family that you chose not to see. You had restaurants that you had always gone to that you chose not to go to anymore because you didn't like how they were handling it. And you got really, really, really like insular, right? And mm-hmm. when you were deciding who you were going to let into your circle, it was really about like whose values align with mine, who's treating mm. this pandemic the same way, who has the same um, kind of approach that I feel the most comfortable with. And then you were very deliberate about who you were letting in. Well, guess what? That's what our employees are doing about going back to the office too. And so the idea is how do you as an employer make them feel like you're part of their community? And how do you get them to want to commune with you and commune with your managers and commune um, in your dang office, (laughs) right? Um, And so there's two things that I think about when I'm thinking about going back or return to office or welcoming back to office, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think about if you are going to ask me to commute to, you know, be close to people. Maybe I'm an introvert and I don't want to hang out with people anymore. Um, To like come to your office for one day a week or five days a week, you're going to have to make it worth my while. Um, And so what is the office for anyway? So if I'm going to go to your office to sit in, you know, an open space and then be on Zoom because half of my colleagues don't work in the city anymore, Um, and have moved far away and, you know, or we've hired, suddenly hired a bunch of remote people, does it really make sense for me to come to the office and have to 
um, you know, sit in a room and be on Zoom? The answer is no. Um, so, so it's really like, why do I want you to come back to the office? What is that experience going to be like? And what capabilities does my manager have to really facilitate good sessions that are hybrid sessions, um, but that will make me feel like it's worth it to come back into the office? I think that's what we have to be thinking about. I think more than ever, um, now more than ever, facilitation skills, good facilitation skills as a manager capability are a bare minimum um, because you are going to have to have People want to come back to get in a room and work on a problem. They get excited about it. Um, you know, they there's an energy that happens there. Um, it leads to an outcome and they go, oh, that was worthwhile. I think I'll go back to the office again. Um, like that's the energy you have to create. And by the way, I think surveying employees before you've had them back to the office is not necessarily the smartest thing to do um, because what I have found is that our employees don't want to come back to the office until they're here. And we've created an awesome event and we've created um, with a lot of intentional thinking uh, a way for them to connect and a reason for them to be there and solve a problem. And when they came in, they walked away going like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. I actually would reconsider it. So if you are going to include your employees in this like design of return to office, I think you have to have like a kickoff event first, show them that it's safe, explain to them what the precautions are. I even think inviting their families to come to your office so that everybody in their little community feels like it's a good idea or that it's safe or that we can get on board with this some amount of time. Um, I think there are things that you don't even know you should be thinking about whenever it comes to letting people or inviting people back to work. Like what about people's pets? Like I know I'm here to talk about parents, but our dogs have gotten used to us being there 24 hours a day. Oh yeah. We are their pack now. And I know we were always their pack, but like they literally, like if we ever had separation anxiety before in a pet, or even if we never did, we're about to have like a big onslaught of that because I think especially our dogs are going to be um, really freaked out if we start to return back to the office. Um, right. Maybe our cats less, but our dogs for sure are going to be, are going to be upset. And so like, do we do something to think about like, you know, pets as we're reopening offices? Um, so I think it's really complicated about like what you have to think about addressing. Um, but don't ask employees before you've done something to show them your goodwill, to show them that you care about creating a safe space, to show them that you're open to any kind of idea that would make this transition easier for them. Um, so I think that's one thing. The other thing that we need to be thinking about for parents in particular is business travel. Um, in the past, it was kind of normal to just be like, hey, you're going to travel 25% of the time. I personally have always had jobs that traveled 50% of the time. Um, I have spent now two years at home. Um, I went on my first um, trip uh, away from my family two weeks ago. And it was so bizarre because like on the one hand, it was like, oh, life is back to normal. This is great. And um, I met people that I hadn't seen and I was out of the United States. Thank goodness. Like it was just so nice to go to another country and like, you know, eat different food and meet different people. But I was longing for my family in a way that I have never done before. Um, and the trip was only like four days, maybe. 
but it felt like an eternity. I used to be on the road two weeks a month. I will never do that again. I will never do that again. Um, so I think that's something to think about. Like our kids are not used to us leaving. Um, our partners are not used to us leaving. Um, and I think parenting is definitely a community event. Um, so, so I think, um, that's an element to consider that I don't know if people are really putting thought to yet. Uh, yeah, I think, okay. So uh, kind of summarizing a couple of things that I think, what companies can do to to start creating that more inclusive work and envi- environment for for parents and for pet owners. I'm a pet owner, and I have a cat, but she <laughs> she is more like a dog. She doesn't like it when I leave <laughs> at all. She tears the place apart. It's kind of crazy. Um, but you know, so what I really liked is like do something, like do something before you even ask your employees because you want to show them that you want to be a part of this smaller, this community, this tight knit community that you're talking about, which is true. Um, Why should I come in? Do you just, you know, you just want to see me sitting, sitting in a chair or do you, what is the why, what is the impact and why is it going to be better than me sitting, you know, staying at home in my, in my work environment that I have probably made quite nice over the past couple of years too. Right. So it's, I I like that idea of this, um, this kickoff event where leaders perhaps come together and first they come up with their, the why, the what, uh, perhaps integrate some sort of manager training because you mentioned facilitation. Um, I think that that's a big one. Manager coaching in general, I think, is taking center stage in many conversations now because it's always been important, but like it's really, really important now, right? Um, and then presenting it to employees and then bringing those employees into the conversation to feel to, for, for them to reflect on what they like, what they don't like, those sorts of things. And, and I think the other thing that I would definitely make suggestion is like, have it be a work in progress. Don't say that this is how we're doing things and that's it forever. Right. <laughs> right. Boy, that's a good one. That's a good one because how many times have we, did we declare that COVID was almost over only to face another spike or yeah. right. Like I worked at three companies so far during COVID um, and every single one of those companies had a date that they were thinking they would bring employees back to the office at. And that date got moved um, multiple times. Right. Um, I think that it is really important to be flexible. It's really imp- important to hear what is working and not working from both your managers and from your employees Um, and I think at the end of the day, this thing we used to hide behind that like stopped us from remote work was like, oh, well, we won't get the same results, right? Like we won't get the same results, um, because people have kids or because they're going to be distracted. They're going to watch cartoons all day and play video games and, um, right. Not do our work. Um, we have spent two years looking at the productivity of the workforce, um, around the world, the productivity of, of workers has not dipped significantly because they have worked from home, right? So that is no longer a valid excuse for why you can't do it. Um, so you've really got to come up with something compelling if you want the best talent to come work for you. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I think, you know, some companies you've seen record revenues and growth from companies. So it's like, hey, we've all figured it out. 
under extremely stressful <laughs> uh, circumstances. So, but that actually brings me to another question because, you know, we're, we're influenced. We have these, you know, traditions as work, right? Um, and it's, it's more than just a company. It's really societal in many ways. So, so taking a kind of a step back to like the big picture, how do we as individuals in society change that narrative and change the stereotypes of working parents? Um, you know, might there be some simple and small steps to take today? And I, I frame that because, you know, we can see that we have, you know, parents have done, parents have worn many, many hats over the past few years. Um, we have seen people do some incredible work under these stressful circumstances, but you're also seeing, you know, which is a whole other kind of can of worms to open that um, as a, you know, as a nation, for example, we still struggle with giving, you know, parental leave and in guaranteeing parental leave and guaranteeing certain flexibilities as a society. And, you know, so, so the, my question is, again, to repeat is, is how do we kind of change that narrative and stereotypes? Are there things we can do internally within our organizations, almost as a grassroots approach to influence others and, and make changes slowly? <laughs> it's a big question, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a multi-layered question. I, I would say yeah. <laughs> my best advice to parents is to stand firm in the contribution that you give every day and stop apologizing if that's part of who you are, right? Like, I I know that, you know, all the parents I know have, like you said, worked basically two full-time jobs since the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. um, and so to stand, like, imagine you're interviewing during a process, uh, during this kind of time. It is not like, oh, I'm sorry that my kid keeps jumping on Zoom or, you know, like, I'm sorry that I can't come today because, you know, my mom got COVID or like, right, right. Like you think mm, about this yes. instead, it's like, I am doing this like, right. Like it's just, I am doing this piece out. Um, thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you for letting me tell you that what I'm about to do to take care of myself and take care of my family. And at the end of the day, stand firm in your contribution. My contributions are, you know, valuable. My contributions have not suffered um, based on me having to take care of my mom or me having to take care of my child um, or my dog. Um, right. So it's really like stop apologizing and stop oversharing um, about why you're taking the time that you need to take for whatever reason and just go do the dang thing that you need to get done. At the end of the day, if your results are your results, that's the only thing that matters. And if you're at a place that that's not the only thing that matters, then come work for me. Um, we're hiring a lot. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That is, you know, that's, that's wonderful um, point because I, um, I think that is the conversation I'm always having, having with, 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 with quite a few people, whether it's, um, you know, they're sick. And so they apologize for being sick and apologizing that they need to take a day for themselves to recover so that they can come and perform. And often, by the way, these are top performers that are apologizing for this, um, or they're apologizing for, for life happening and them not being on a call or, or like I I've had many clients apologize for yeah having their kids in the background, come on to zoom. And I'm like, 
hey, bring them in. To be completely honest, that this this energizes our call in a new, in a new way. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's such a big one, and that's something that I know personally. I have had to internalize and work on more. And something that really helps me at the end of the day, though, is also having very supportive colleagues and and my own manager. It's it, yeah. as well. <laughs> that's that's right, and I think organizations have to think about radical flexibility. Uh Like how do we um, provide a workplace where, you know, our employees or our prospective employees have really control over the aspects of their job. And it's not just like when I, when are my hours or where I do my work from, but it's even the nature of the work that I do or Uh the projects that I get to work on the more that you can give people autonomy in their work life, the more they're going to give back to you. Um, and I think that's part of this, like, you know, brand new EVP um, thinking about how hybrid and the future of work is evolving. It is really about radical flexibility and taking your dang judgment out of um, your policies. Like, I think you and I talked about that on our introductory call where it was like, um, I work for a place a long time ago. I won't say when, so you, you can't look at my LinkedIn profile and figure out who it was. Um, but I worked for a place a long time ago who was so re- resistant to remote work that I was on a team of HR people who built a book that uh, was like, here's how managers um, should think about doing remote work. And here's how employees should think about re- doing remote work. And like the first bullet point on both of those guides was, um, you know, do you have childcare? And if you said, no, I don't have childcare, then it was an automatic, no, you can't work remotely. How crazy is that? I remember, yes, I remember you sharing that. And I, and, and to me, I also, I mean, that to me should be, that's discriminatory and like, and it's, it, it, it really is like, that should not be legal to even ask. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is definitely not common these days. It is not right. It's kind of, it would be unheard of now, but that's like where HR comes from. Definitely. HR comes from like, oh, I can't let you be remote unless you've already proven yourself as trustworthy. And Mm -hmm. I can't let you be remote unless your manager is good at managing remote people. And so sorry, if your manager doesn't have those capabilities, you can't work remote. I mean, how Mm -hmm. much bullshit is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man, it it does. It reminds me, and I think that you know, and I think that's actually what part one part that sucks about the whole, honestly, the name HR because there's always been this um, stigma around HR that HR is like you know they make rules, they uh, work for the company, they are not there for the employees, they're there to protect the company, and that is one part of. HR transformation into this more people experience. It's like, actually, there are two sides to this. (laughs) Yes, there's a business, but without your people, you have no business. Um, And so it's more of this transformation of like, how do we work together to be successful? Not let's make rules that you have to follow that are completely inflexible, right? (laughs) Right. And I love that you think that HR is changing. I would say in my experience that um, 20% of HR is changing Mm -hmm. Um, and 80% still sits in this like compliance driven Mm -hmm. um, history, which is where our profession has had evolved from, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, so if you think about like the history of HR and how HR got here, like it started out during the industrial revolution of like, how do we have safe work environments and have rules for safety um, so that like children who shouldn't have been working anyway, but children who work in our factories don't get killed, um, right? Like that's where HR started. So right. that's our roots, right? Yeah. And then after that, like we evolved, like, you know, in World War One and World War Two, it was like, how do you recruit different profiles of talent? Because all of the men are off, you know, working in the war. In the in the Great Depression, it was um, how do you uh, uh, make sure that there are safeguards in terms of retirements and 401ks so that when the economy is crashing down, your workers are still taken care of. But then in the 80s, we became the compliance police. Like it was literally like the function was was aimed at how do we make sure that we don't get sued by our pesky employees? Yeah. And um, it stayed in that seat, like firmly in that seat um, through the 2000s. And there were lots of HR people talking about a strategic, being a strategic partner or getting a, plate, a seat at the table, both like phrases that make me like shiver on the inside and <laughs> feel like I'm, I'm dying. Um, but all of it was so self-centric, right? It was like, I want to be a partner. I want to be invited. I want to help the business. And it just oriented our function so much towards how do we help the business? How do we say yes? How do we help them do their despicable acts? And not like, how do we take care of employees? How do we be a credible activist for our employees? Um, So I think that there is a, is momentum behind a shift. Yes. Um, But I don't think that, that we're even in the middle of that shift yet. Yeah, I think um, what I am enjoying seeing is, and and hey, I'm lucky enough that I get to have conversations with a lot of people who are thinking in this this manner of wanting to truly transform the people experience. And so, what I am enjoying seeing is a growth in that conversation, and I am seeing some changes, and I'm seeing the 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 employee take more um not even ownership but just they're they're standing up for themselves more but to your point there is so much that has to be done and we are so far about but what but I think what even when I'm thinking about my own transformation of what I've seen as HR when I was in college if you went into HR it was like oh why why are you doing that to yourself? Why are you majoring in human resources that so that you can be, you know, the compliance police officer, essentially? And then I remember I was in grad school and I was thinking about HR technology transformation. And I was like, OK, okay well, we're going in some direction. Um, but and there there is so much technology, I think, that has still been built around compliance and benefits and workers compensation and those sorts of things. And now I want to say that I am seeing more, and perhaps it's just because I'm in that world, I'm seeing more businesses, more folks trying to solve problems around the experience of like wanting to make that part better. And certainly that's what Change Engine is doing. Well, and I'm not trying to plug us by any means, but <laughs> but also that is, you know, that is one of our goals. Um and so that I just want to see more of, but I, I do think that as a society, we still have so much more work to do and that large organizations still haven't changed that. I mean, you have seen in the past couple of years, so many 
uh, terrible things come out on 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 in the news and the media about like huge organizations still you know, having people sign NDAs because they're like, let's hide this, let's protect the company and those sorts of things. You're so right. I mean, the <laughs> amount the amount of work to do is kind of endless, um, <laughs> I would say. But something that you, you've called out there that I find uh, uh, really interesting is like the role of HR technology in either maintaining the status quo or driving mm-hmm. change, right? Mm-hmm. You think about like the kind of big HR systems of the, of yesteryear, maybe they're still big and they're still around right now, um, but we're not talking about them because they're not cool. Um, those folks all came from like finance software mm-hmm. and like, you know, I don't know, IBM or something um, where it's just like they were building software with um, HR modules and the HR modules were meant to um, really kind of fit into the like, how do we streamline HR? How do we, you know, reduce the cost? How do we um, do things in a really effective way? And there was no thought of like, how do we improve the employee experience? Not, not even a little bit. And the scary thing is that, you know, HR practitioners let their software drive their strategy, mm-hmm. um, right? So it was like, oh, we have this module for, I don't know, the nine box, so our strategy this year is guess what guys we're doing like succession planning in the nine box, right? Yeah. Like, and it was like, oh, we're so great. And like, so like self-congratulating ours, right? But it was horrible. It's like horrible practices that like lead to more and more discrimination and disparity in the workforce. Like, it's like, I don't know. It's like people were just in a basement coming up with ideas that had nothing to do with people, right? Yeah. So yeah. as you see the t- HR technology landscape changing right now, you see that it's a bunch of people who are not from HR, yeah. right? Who are just like, man, I was a leader. I was a chief operating officer at this company and I couldn't figure out how to do anything and HR was useless. Yeah. So I'm going to build a software um, and I'm going to figure out like how to help other people. And um, I can probably get some private equity money. Like HR technology is a huge business and it's because what we've done in the past has been so terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and actually I think about that because, um, what the way that we treat our way, the way that you treat your customers, you think so much about your customers wanting to make sure they have a fabulous experience. And so now it's like, well, why don't you just internalize that and think about like your employees, your, your people as your internal customers, and you want to keep them happy and you want to take care of them in the same way that you want to keep your customers happy because both of those is what keeps your business alive and keeps our world alive, like in general. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so and that. they're leaving and yes. they're leaving. Yeah. So and, like it's, yeah. they're not going to stand by and be, you know, treated poorly anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's true. And and you see, and I think you see it, you've seen it in the same way that customers will leave a vendor that they or or a retailer or whatever that they're unhappy with because they perhaps are not uh environmental friendly. Perhaps they have discriminatory selling practices, things like that. So that was almost like the first step. And now in, people are doing that with their employers too. So it's like it's interesting. It's, it's interesting the direction we're going in. I'm excited to see where it goes. I hope that we keep going on this path. I hope that 
this, I, I want to say sometimes it's more of a grassroots approach and that this like continues to grow <laughs> pretty much. Um, so I know, I know we're, 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 um, we're coming closer to, to our, for our time. And I know you, you have a, I'm sure a very busy day. You're, you're doing so much. So I just have like a, a, a couple questions left, um, that I'd love to add in because I want to, I want to, I want to try and give folks who are struggling to find flexibility that they need, um, and give them some ideas of like, what, what can they do if they can't just quit? their job, right? And go find something else immediately. So for folks who are struggling to find the flexibility that they need at their company, um, or they're not feeling their contributions are valuable or that, you know, um, and they're, you know, they're having trouble standing firm on that contribution that they bring to the table, you know, those sorts of things. But they want to perhaps try and make some efforts to change within their organization. Do you have ideas on how these folks might raise concerns within their leadership at their company? Well, let me start in a different direction. I think if you're you're sitting in a spot of I don't feel valued or I don't see um I can't stand firm in my contributions and mm-hmm. I can't find the flex- flexibility that I need. Um I think the first thing to do is to like sit and do a bit of self-reflection and think about like, even at the shittiest job on the planet, um, at the worst company of all times, in the past six months, you've probably gained some skills that, um, you know, you've probably worked on some projects, you've gained some marketable skills, you've learned things about yourself or things about what you would accept at your next job or not accept at your next job, like take, take a moment, you know, and write that down and update your resume. Um, because that's actually the stuff that matters. That's the stuff that is growth. Right. And when you leave this company, you can't walk away talking about how terrible they are. You'll never get another job. And so if you spend the moments to like really do that self-reflection and go, even in the face of all of this adversity, this is how I've grown. This is what I've been able to do to contribute. Um, And this is how I can feel good about this and get up every day. Um, You need to have that story for your well-being, Um, but you also need to have that story for getting your next job. So that's where I would ask you to start. Um, The second thing is, there's no such thing as not being able to find another job, not in this climate. There's too many jobs and there's not enough people. So the other thing is always be interviewing. And even if it's a job that you're totally overqualified for, you think, or the pay is totally wrong, or I don't know, you can come up with a million reasons not to take an interview. Stop yourself and do it anyway. Um, because the more you practice at it, the more that you, um, you know, feel the more that you've told the stories about who you are and what you contribute and how awesome you are, the more you're actually going to internalize it and start to believe it. And then the less you're going to put up with at a shitty place, right? You're going to, you're going to come in and you're going to be like, I actually don't have anything to lose. I know what I'm worth because I've spent time checking. I've, you know, I've interviewed, I've made connections. I've gotten job offers even maybe that I'm not willing or ready to take, but I know what I'm worth. And there's nothing more attractive than a candidate who doesn't care if they get your job or not. 
<laughs> right? Like if you're just sitting there like, yeah, I wanted to talk to you. This is great. I'm so interested in what you do, but it's this quiet confidence of, I know what I'm worth. I don't have to take a, a move right now. Um, it, but when I'm ready, I will have a plethora of opportunities. That's the space you need to be in. And that's what you, that's what you want to be in before you actually start looking for a job. So that's why I say, always be interviewing. Make sure that your resume is is updated. Um, and that's going to give you a, a power pose. That's going to give you something different inside your internal self, um, right? That's going to help you make good decisions for you and your family. The second thing I would say is like, go to a therapist, um, right? Like, I think there's a bit of mental health crisis that's happening in this country. Um, there's a mental health crisis actually happening around the world. Um, for lots of different reasons, but in this country in particular, it's very work-related. Um, and so take the time to find someone um, that you can talk to, that you can reflect with, and that you can have these conversations with, because that um, is also good for you in the long run. Um, so I think those things will help you as a person, as a human being, to be in a good headspace, to deal with bad things at work, um, with the right level of reaction inside you. So the first thing you can do is control yourself. That's my, that's my advice there. But the second thing is if you, um, you need to escalate issues. Um, I think that was your question, right? Like if you need to escalate things, you need to, um, I mean, I would say, go, go do it. Like, um, right. Like if you have a manager who's holding you back or who's treating you poorly or creating an environment that's not safe for you, go talk to your manager's manager. Like, I mean, what do you have to lose literally, right? Um, we are all responsible for creating the, the work experience. It's not only on the HR team. It's not only on the managers. It's also a bit on you um, to come in and create the experience that is acceptable to you. Um, but do that not from a place of drama, not from a place of victimhood, but from a place of like, hey, I'm an adult. I come to work so that I can pay my bills. I'm looking at this stuff and this isn't right. Um, and so I, I'm calling this out to help you as an employer, um, but also because I'm not going to put up with this, right? Um, so it's different than like um, from a place of like damage. Mm -hmm. It's from a place of I'm trying to find a solution. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a solution that we can work on together, that's cool because I have options. Mm -hmm. I Okay, so all of those things are things that, I know I have personally had to work on, and by the way, totally with a therapist, with a career coach, whatever it might be, I've, you know, I've spoken with those. Um, and I took time off. And, and one of the questions in interviews is like, what did you do with your time? And you can think of like millions of things that you develop over the course of your time, whether you're like, you know, taking time off from work, whether you were at a really difficult job, like you mentioned. Um, and, in, and, and then like, think of like, some powerful skills that aren't necessarily hard skills. They could be soft skills, but those are damn important, right? Um, thinking about adaptability, compassion, organization, negotiation, performing well under pressure, perhaps. I mean, everyone's performed well under pressure, right? Over the past couple of years. So those, um, I think when you distill it down, it's it's that, like you said, you know, knowing your worth and, and building that confidence However, it is finding your community of support, finding a support system that can help you, you know, 
do some introspection there, whether it's therapy, whether it's, it's, it's your family, whether it's a career coach, whatever it might be. Um, because that really does help propel you to whatever is next. If it is within your company, like you said, to, 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 uh, improve the existing workplace, or if it means, like you said, leaving <laughs> and finding something else that, that will support you in a healthy, holistic way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, look, if you're privileged enough to be able to take a break, which like, you know, to be honest, like a lot of people aren't right. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Um, but if you are take time to really think about your, your why, like, what are you working for anyway? Um, right. Like I get it. We're all working to pay our bills, but that's not a great motivator, like to help you face adversity at work. Mm-hmm. Um, or to help you be resilient at work. Um, so I think really spending time to understand like, you know, do I want to join a business because that business like looks high growth and it looks like they might have a, a big event that could make me a lot of money and I think I could help them grow and I can help them get there. If that is your why and that is your motivator, like more power to you, go find those companies, they exist. If your why is something like, I want to make a difference in the world and I want to, you know, help underserved communities, or I really want to um, figure out how to make changes in the world, like go find those companies. And and by the way, you don't have to go work for a nonprofit to find that, right? You don't have to go work for, um, I don't know, the government to, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, or become a teacher if you want to help children. Like, you know, there's lots of um, tech companies that are pointed around like really noble causes. There's lots of um, uh, big industrial manufacturing companies who are really doing good in the world, like surprisingly. Um, and so think about that why, and that's really going to help you to narrow down and find a company that feels aligned to your values because nothing matters more than who you commune with. Um, and that's what we have really figured out. Like if you're, if you're not a values match, you're always going to be miserable. Yeah. I think that if you were to summarize actually almost our entire episode, it's really talking about community and like, what is the community that you want to be a part of, or who do you want in your community? Your company is in within your community that within that, that circle that you have decided. And so it needs to fit your values. It needs to support you in the way that you support it and how you are supported by other folks that are in your, you know, in that circle. So um, that is truly, I mean, figuring out your why is probably a lifelong journey for many and it might change a bajillion times. Right. Um, But it's, it's something that um, is very rewarding. I think when you find it Uh, and I know that I have done personally, I've done a ton of work there over the past years for that. So I can, I can relate to that. (laughs) You know, my instinct is that if you actually just spend some time on it, like even a weekend, it's actually probably not going to change that much throughout your life. There might be times when you move away from it and you're not true to yourself because there's something else that's pulling you in a different direction. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when you get closer to the end of your career or you, you know, get to places where you've hit specific milestones, I think that when you revisit that original why, you're probably going to fall back towards something in that same arena. So I think wherever you are in your career, stopping for some time to think about that. Um, and maybe I'm just on fire for it, right? Like I always loved like the Simon Sinek 
mm-hmm. wise stuff. But also I've been reading this book called The Second Mountain. Um, and it's all about like how in the first half of your career, it's like about, you know, achieving the next milestone, like climbing the ladder, getting the money, getting the title, getting the job. But then when you get to the pinnacle of that, it's like Olympians, right? Like they get the gold medal and then they're just looking around going like, okay, so what? Like, so now what? Right. Yeah. Um, And so that's your second mountain. Like when you get to the top of that mountain and you look around and you go, this is what I was marching towards, but it's actually not, that wasn't what it was. Like the, the time for your second mountain is all about like, how am I making an impact on the world? How am I impacting people around me? How am I making things better or greater? That's all your original why. Like that's all the stuff that really um, is in the center of your soul. Yeah. And And drives you. Yeah. If you take the time to think about it, it's always going to be a driver. Um, And then you're just going to be a happier person. Yeah, I can, I can, uh, yeah. You know, the way that you phrased that, I can absolutely kind of, I'm, I'm reflecting on my own life. I'm reflecting on, on, you know, friends and colleagues that I've spoken with similarly. And it, 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 it is interesting how you do gravitate, you continuously gravitate back to something. I mean, I left, for example, the people experience world for a couple of years because I was like, I want to be, have a more, I felt like I was like, I want to have a more direct impact, but I realized that I went into environmental sustainability for a few years and, and that I was like, well, that's, that is impact that I want to have, but it wasn't, it wasn't, but it wasn't working directly with people all the time. And so what happened, I came right back into people experience because that's what I keep getting pulled back to is like, and so you saying all of that, I was like, yes, I'm reflecting on this and and I can see it too. And I'm going to have to include that, that book, the second mountain in, in the notes so that we can share that. Cause that sounds like a really great read for sure. So, yeah. So I know, I know where, 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 we're over time and I, I want to, I want to give you back your, your day. And I'm, but I'm so thankful for the conversation that we've had today. I think that once again, I've learned so much from you. I've loved kind of the energy that we've had here. And I think there's just so much that folks could walk away with, whether you're a leader, whether you're an IC, whether you're, you know, a stay at home mom or dad, and you're trying to think about ways you can re-enter orgs or what, or maybe you're starting out your career or who knows, right? Um, There's a lot grounded in, you know, knowing your worth, practicing that, finding an organization that is truly going to support you. But then on the flip side, as an organization, it is, meeting employees, meeting, meeting people at, at, at where, you know, at where they are on the road, where they're, you know, wanting to work together to provide an environment that is, you know, not even just acceptable, but kind of invigorating and energizing for both sides as the, as the business and as, as the people that are working with it. So, um, Thank you so much. <laughs> Truly, thank you. I'm really excited for, for folks to, to listen to this episode. Um, and, and okay, I'll ask you one more question. We'll, we'll close it out is, if you could ask one thing from uh, leaders across organizations, whether it's be in action or whatever it might be, what, what might that be? Yeah, I feel like there's so many things that I would love to, to have as a call to action to employers about like all the changes that we need to make in people and culture. But I think we've been talking about community a lot. Mm -hmm. So I would say 
um, I ask would be be really deliberate about how you co-create the experience with your employees. Like really think about um, what they're actually looking for, not just what you need. Um, (laughs) And figure out how um, anybody else's desires, the the real true desires of their hearts, the real true career path that they want to take, it can't be taboo. Even if it's not in line with your business, even if it's not, you know, the product that you sell, even if they want to go open a, you know, cupcake cake shop um, on, you know, the, the side of the road. I don't know. Um, like, how do you co-create the work experience to help those employees get all of the skills that they can get in the next six months to help them realize their dream and achieve what they're actually trying to go do? Um, because if you can build work experience like that, that's really like helping people point towards their why and towards their real end goal, then, you know, it's, it's always going to be a pleasure to come from your company and that's the best you can ask for. Um, so that's it. Yeah. That, that is a solid call to action. I love that. So I hope all leaders, you know, who've heard this, I have, I've internalized that. So to our listeners, thank you for tuning into our pep talk today. Thank you to Lorraine. And uh, you can subscribe to our podcast for more upcoming episodes featuring people leaders across different industries. And until next time, I am your host, Hava Vita. Thank you.